This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. You are listening to the Glass Cannon Network, the premier source for role-playing game entertainment. Welcome to Cannon Fodder, a behind-the-scenes look at the Glass Cannon Network. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to Cannon Fodder. It is Wednesday, June 28th, 2023, and I'm your good buddy, Joe O'Brien, and I am Troyless this week, as Troy has left just ahead of me uh, to go out to sunny Los Angeles to, uh, of course, advance our business interests out there on the West Coast. But I do have a thrilling guest uh, in for Troy Valley this week, the one and only Jared Logan. Jared, what's up, yeah, buddy? what's up? Feels good to be Troy free. <laughs> Doesn't it take your pants off? We're Troy yeah. free. Uh, it's good to see you, buddy. Seeing you virtually, I think that I'm probably going to see you in person within 48 hours. I don't That's know. That's right. Yeah, something like I'm- that. Meeting you at the airport. <laughs> You're picking me up. We're at that stage of our relationship. A little, We're still uh, in that early stage. little poster board sign that says Joe O'Brien on it. <laughs> Love Mr. it. Mr. O'Brien? Mr. O'Brien? Can't wait. Can't wait. Uh, yeah, Jared is going to join me today because we have got such exciting news to talk about. Uh, while Troy is out getting things squared away in Los Angeles, we are out here about to air... The premiere of season two of Haunted City, the Blades yes. in the Dark campaign that Jared is running. It premieres tonight, actually, on our Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash the glass cannon, 8 p.m. Eastern. It goes live. Podcast will be, will be available on the Haunted City feed the next day. So that's really exciting. We're going to talk about that with Jared today. We're going to talk about SideQuest Side Sesh yeah. today because, you know, we have the the the, uh, the joy of playing with Jared on that. We've got a new tour date we announced, so I'm going to I'm going to mention that. And of course, if we've got time, we're going to talk a little Blood of the Wild. I mean, it's going to be it's going to be a fun show. It's great to have you on, buddy. So, first, let's talk about Haunted City. Great. Haunted City is um, people have been waiting for this for a really long time. And uh, season two, uh, you and I talked about, uh, I don't know, maybe a month or two ago, that it was, it was ready to, to sit down and actually start recording. What did that mean to you when season two was greenlit? And, uh, and how are you feeling about the start of the season? Well, we had a lot of unresolved plot lines mm. from season one. So I knew we had to go back and kind of see where those would go. So I was ready to do that. 
what else? I mean, I was so excited to sit down with Joe and uh, and Abu and Ross again because they're always fun and they always make it crazy and chaotic and wild. <laughs> Did something change about the start of your like right out of the gate, like your preparation? Was it just fundamentally different than season one because of I mean how much you were dealing with in terms of baggage and plot lines of these characters and how many multiple characters are in the story now? The main prep was just going back and watching the old episodes because it had been a little while Mm -hmm. and i had to do that but blades in the dark is a game that does not want you to prep a role-playing adventure that's true they do not want you to make notes all the notes are in the book i i'm still a dork and i still do this as kind of part of my job so i was like i have to i have to be prepared and I still made like a page or two of notes to get ready. And of course, you know, Abu and those guys just exploded it immediately <laughs> on contact with Abu. It was completely destroyed. And, <laughs> and that's great. That's good. You know, I, I mean, I really enjoy a game like that. And I think that, you know, we we've recorded, oh, about half of the season already. And I can tell you that we get some big payoff on some of the threads that we started in season one already. already. So if you want to know what happens to the remnant and Selyak Khan is still a big thing, even though Ross is now playing Ekphelia, who is Josephine's dead lover who possessed Ekaprag Wody. I love it. I love it. (laughs) Valkos, Valkos remains a constant wrecking ball to any sort of, semblance of a plot i try to scrape together out of the the detritus of my notes valcos keeps wrecking balling through it so you know come come and check it out because uh i'm really really i'm shocked by some of the stuff that has happened already really uh valcos played by abu slim we got the exciting news uh before we even started uh taping on season two that abu was going to be uh, in in the next season of House of the Dragon, which yes. was really exciting, has that fouled up uh, your ability to 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 record with him? Like, is that screwed up his schedule? It hasn't fouled it up, but you know, it's made it a little tricky here and there because he is shooting this summer. Mm-hmm. So, but so far, like I said, we've got a lot of it in the can. Uh, like, I think we've got like half of the season in the can. I'm not. I mean, exactly- that's amazing that he's like. That he's able to make that time for that. I just, I feel like a, a House of the Dragon thing would kind of be all consuming, but uh, it seems like he just loves doing this. Well, you remember House of the Dragon has 117 characters. <laughs> I guess that's true, yeah. And in any given episode of the House of the Dragon, they're like, here's five minutes of that guy with a limp who wants to kill the queen. <laughs> and then that's, that's, they probably film all of the, I mean, that, that's a guy I just made up, but they probably film like some of the characters all in one day and then they're done for the season. You know, it's like, yeah, it's just, uh, yeah, but, but, you know, it is funny. I always think when we're going to re up Abu and get him back on the show, I'm always like, oh, this time he's going to tell me, look, I'm busy being in the Game of Thrones franchise. And I just, and of course, <laughs> he's the most hardcore, hardcore. He was the one that kept emailing me and going, when are we playing, man? When are we, uh, well, you know, he just loves, he loves playing the game. So that is, uh, that's the best is when you have someone as talented as him who just is obsessed with the game, you know? Yeah. There's, to me, there's nothing quite like it. When you're GMing uh, a game of any kind, uh, 
to have people to have a player coming to you and, and saying like when are we playing again like i'm so excited i'm eager to yeah. play again you don't want to feel like you're always wrangling or like you are trying to like twist people's arms to come and play your game you know when people are into it and excited about it it's just the best feeling it's the best feeling so uh you have told us that before about uh, abu and that's one one of the reasons why we just absolutely love working with him because that kind of He's got, you have to have that raw natural passion for tabletop gaming or you are not going to make time for it in your life. It is, it is a time consuming activity. You know, this is a man with a new baby. Yeah. This is a man with a new baby. He literally, we, he gets on the record and he's like, hold on one second. He finishes giving her a bottle and then hands her over and is like, give me the money or I'll cut your, th-. you know, it's like <laughs> right into character. Um, he what has, a pro. What a, a pro. pro. Infectious enthusiasm. Love, love, love that man. Got to well, meet him in person for the first time a couple of months ago. Oh, that's great. He actually visited LA. So, oh, that's uh, great. Hopefully that happens more often soon. Yeah. It would be phenomenal one time ever to be able to tape an in person remnant session yeah that would I be mean, awesome how, how awesome would that be uh we'll, we'll keep that on the list of like let you know let's let's try it if he's ever you know when he gets back in la blades in the dark is a phenomenal game that i cannot wait to play with you again and we're going to be doing that at gen con this year yes. the buffalo muff- busted mufflers are back you're going to be right. gming us i'm so freaking excited by the way tickets are still available for that if people want to pick it up it's in a big theater and uh there are not a ton of tickets more than half are gone uh but there are some tickets still available so if you want to check out that show go to the gen gen con events and look for blades in the dark live uh with the gcn that, that our modern um our modern Call of Cthulhu show is sold out at Gen Con. So that's already passed. So if you want to see us, definitely try to get tickets to that. Uh, I mean, oh, Glass Cannon Live sold out this week in Indianapolis. So All we're right. very happy about that. Uh, but then there's Call of Cthulhu Live where there's tickets still available. And you're going to do a show at Gen Con yes, this year. Yes, I'm doing, I'm going to do stand up comedy. You're doing stand up comedy at Gen Con. Amazing. Yes. The title of the show is Charisma is My Dump Stat. And, uh, <laughs> You can find it in the Gen Con, uh, you know, catalog. Please come and watch me uh, perform stand-up. Some of it, not all of it, but uh, a big chunk of it will be sort of dedicated to that audience, you know, stuff mm-hmm. that they might find funny or interesting. And then, uh, and then I'll be doing my act. So please come and see me. Tickets are still available for Call of Cthulhu Live at the Athenium. And those tickets are just 15 bucks. So you should definitely come out and see us there. That is the cast of all casts. I mean, no offense, Jared, but it's just a massive cast of, uh, fantastic players. It's the whole time for chaos cast, basically, except Ross, cause I don't believe he's making it out to Gen Con. If he is, well, you know, we'll talk and figure that out. But, um, it's, it's the time for chaos cast minus Ross. Plus you add in Matthew Skid and I. It's just going to be a really, really great time at the Athenium. So tickets still available for that. Check that out. If you get a second, while we're on the ticket, I'm going to get to, I want to get to SideQuest side sesh with you in a second. Sure. Um, looking forward to talking about that. But I wanted to announce a new uh, date that was announced this week for our tour. We are coming back to Boston. We're headed back to the Paradise Rock Club in Boston, one of our favorite places to play. And we're going to be there on September 9th this year. September 9th. Go ahead and uh, go to uh, glasscannonnetwork.com slash tour to find out info and where you can get tickets for that. Uh, jump on that quick because we haven't been to Boston in a while. We haven't been yet this year. I think that those tickets are probably going to fly. So uh, come come and see us in Boston. Do you ever Did you ever do stand-up in Boston? Was that ever like on sure. your, 
Yeah, on your tour. Yeah. What, what kind of what are the clubs in Boston? The comedy clubs. Well, they might they might be they might be gone now. Uh, the ones that I was doing, I did a place called I think it's called the Gas, which was in. Um, you'll have to forgive me because I never lived in Boston. So Alston, uh, Alston. Uh, there's a neighborhood like uh, to the north, and then I also did. Um, I just Googled the gas in Boston and it just came up. It was like Massachusetts average gas prices and every single link is about natural gas or gasoline in Boston. Yeah. Uh, it was like, it was like part of a, it was like, there was like a bar and then there was like a show called the gas there. I, I I'm not, I'm not exactly sure, but it was, it was, uh, I, I did that. And there was another place like near Harvard square where I would do it all the time. This was eight years ago, 10 years ago. So it's been a little while. I, I've been out here in LA for a while. Uh, well, come and get those uh, those tickets at the Paradise, and come hang with us in Boston this September. We're looking forward to getting back there. the uh, the, the Gen Con stand up show that you're doing are mm-hmm. you are you like working material for that now? Is that like something that you're working on when you're like are you working on that at clubs around LA right now? Yes. Yeah, so. The situation is that I'm actually running the whole show on uh, on uh, well this coming week, so uh, to kind of get it on its feet. But it's uh, it's material I've been working on for the past couple months. So, okay, so you've been working if on people it for a few only months. know me from my game mastering. I started as a stand up comedian in Chicago, and then I was a stand up comedian in New York, where I was you know I was on Comedy Central. I had a half hour special and things like that. And then I came out here to L.A., and I've been a little bit more making my money writing uh, since coming out here in L.A. and, and playing role-playing games. But, uh, but I still love stand-up. My wife and I do a show every week together at a bar in Echo Park, and uh, I've just been booking a bunch of shows, working on my stand-up to get kind of like a new act together, a new, a new hour. So uh, that is what people will see in at Gen Con. And... You know, some of the material, you know, that's kind of like nerdy material. Like, how does that go over with, say, you know, a random yeah. a, a random bar crowd? Well, it's interesting. The ultimate would be to get like a, a joke that's about a very specific nerdy thing that hits just as hard with a random bar crowd as it would with a nerd crowd. Yes. And sometimes you're able to you're able to create something like that. And it's very gratifying. And other times, you know, you you think, okay. This got this got a good response. It wasn't like over the top, but I think in front of people who know Magic the Gathering, this will get like an even bigger response. So <laughs> I'll, I'll keep this on the li- I'll keep this in the repertoire or whatever. So it's interesting to kind of work that out a little bit, you know. Um, a lot of my act is improvised anyway. So you know, when I'm on the road and doing my act, like I, I do a lot of material that I that I've been working on, but then I also talk to people and make up stuff on the spot. So, um, yeah, I can't wait. Is, I can't wait for Gen Con. This is probably a weird question, but uh, to ask, but are you nervous? Well, always, because Gen Con is you. You love Gen Con. You love yeah. gaming. You love that community. To get to do to combine the two things you love the most, stand up and and gaming, and do it on a stage at the biggest gaming convention, you know that we are all you know huge fans of. Um, yeah, yeah. I didn't know if that w- was making you nervous at all. <laughs> well, not until now, Joe. <laughs> no, I of course you're always nervous. I mean, that's part of the fun of it. You know, it's like you know going up for a big show and stand up is like jumping out of a plane. You know, like oh, I hope the parachute opens. You know. <laughs> But the, you know, the trick is that oddly enough, like 
by the time you make it to the big show, like the hard work is done. The hard work was getting up night after night in little bar spots and stuff and trying to make jokes that aren't working work. And then and and having to hear no laughs from something you've tried the second time or the third time. That was the hard part. By the time you get to the big show, like it better. I mean, it better all be working like, I, you know, <laughs> right. or or you better have like a damn the torpedoes. Fuck it. Attitude about it. Like and uh, and I tend to combine hard work with a fucking attitude and get through it somehow. So good. Good. Uh, yeah. that, that's funny. I've never he- quite heard that uh, that exact um analogy i guess i i could say for uh, for doing a stand up show you know it's like jumping out of a plane like you get a thrill from it like there's a thrill associated right. with it but there oh. is there's danger there's risk for Joe, sure pe- people get addicted to it they get addicted yeah. to it but you know i mean anytime i would like get to perform stand up on tv people would be like are you nervous and i'm like the hard part is done now like getting someone to say okay i'll put you on tv that was difficult now yeah. all I have to do is go out and say the stuff, you know, um, yeah. and enjoy myself. That's it. That's a trick. You got to enjoy yourself. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, I would always say that too, when I was coaching speech and debate in college and we were dealing with, you know, kids that were, uh, and I had come up through this too. Like you had prepared things to such a degree that you knew the beats of like every syllable, every way that you would land every argument or every uh, point or even every line of poetry, whatever it was like you, you were going to say and you were going to land it in a very, very specific way. And you did not improv a lot. You did not throw things around. You like you had a very, you had a technique that you needed to stick to the danger in that. And I would, this is what I would tell people when I was coaching them is that like, if it gets to the, you're definitely grinding and you're definitely working your ass off to make it so perfect in competition that you uh, excel, that you separate yourself from everyone else. But you also run the risk at that point of not enjoying it anymore. Yeah. Like, to the point where you're just not having fun. It's also calculated that mm-hmm. it, there's nothing fresh. There's nothing, nothing original in it. So that is also a dangerous trap. And you have to walk both lines. Like you want to feel so confident in your preparation that you can nail what you've prepared exactly as you want to do it while also making it feel fresh and also enjoying doing it so that, you know, when those laughs come, it just, it, it feels so great. You know, um, it, it's, it, it's an interesting, uh, an interesting it, thing because we, we do that so rarely anymore with our, you know, in, in the glass kind of network, it's just not something we really do. So for years now, for years I've been performing and it's all basically improv. And so yeah. I'm always kind of a fish out of water and it, it's not nearly as prepared as I'm used to being. Uh, but there's a lot of fun associated with that. You know, there's a lot of fun when you don't have to do as much pre- preparing and you can just, you know, risk it, roll the dice and see what happens. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big proponent of not preparing too much, you know, kind of perform to see what happens. Like, yes, I have things that I have prepared. I have ideas that I'm prepared to say to hopefully make people laugh, but also kind of do it like you do role playing to kind of see what happens. Yeah. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. 
Do you ever find that your stand-up preparations, your jokes that you're that you're working on, your bits that you're that you enjoy and like are maybe going to be part of the show? Do they ever come out in your podcast that you do on the GCN, like in your banter or whatever? Do you ever drop little bits, or do you like? Do you just like purposely not use them in those situations? Yeah. So I don't. I'm not going to take a bit that I do in my standup and like work it into a conversation on the glass cannon. That seems a little bit psychotic to me, like uh, because it really is friends sitting around talking and teasing each other before they play a game. So yeah. it would be kind of weird. I mean, sometimes I will be gauche and say, actually, I was I was doing a bit about that, and then I'll tell people what the joke was. But like, I yeah, I don't really you I never don't really, pass it off as not a bit you've already done you, you before know, or something. You know what happens is the reverse, which is I find that I come up with a lot of joke ideas when I'm like at a party talking to people and I say something and people are like, that's funny. And then I go, Oh yeah, that, that was pretty good. And then I'll go and I'll make a note of it. And then if they see me perform like three months later, they're going to be like, was he frying goddamn material on me at that party? <laughs> <laughs> and I, and it's like, no, I, that was the first time I said it. I swear. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. I love that you describe that behavior as psychotic, <laughs> like trying out bits on your friends without them mm, knowing you're trying. I will. Bits. I will engineer this social encounter. <laughs> How can I bring out the emotion of joy from Joe O'Brien? <laughs> His breathing and, and, and complexion have changed. My jokes are working. <laughs> yeah that's well that's it's, it's usually pretty easy for me you crack my ass up on uh, on blood of the wild and in side quest side sesh we were so yes. excited to have you on as a player this time which was great let's talk about side quest for a little bit i great. we're only two episodes in we did character creation and we've done an app ep- there was a very the last two weeks here on the glass cannon podcast and i just it has a tone all all its own, SideQuest Side Sesh, and it is so fun to be a little bit more laid back with our characters and, and all that stuff. And I talked a lot about our characters last week on uh, Canafodder, so I just kind of want to kick it over to you right out of the gate. First, let's talk about your overall impressions of... Uh, of the game and the group. So, you, you know, you sat down and everybody made these characters. Well, you know, what stood out to you? Uh, wh- what did you think coming out of the character creation session? Well, let's see. I felt like I was being the nerdiest one because <laughs> I wanted to do a class from a, a like a non-core book. Although, <laughs> although no, you, 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 I felt better with you there because you wanted to be an, an ancestry from a non-core. Yes, for sure. From outside the core book. So I, I felt like, you know, it was like this whole thing of like, uh, now uh, we got to get a whole extra token for Jared because he's two <laughs> characters. He wants to play two characters because I'm playing a summoner. <laughs> yeah, you were the you were the problem player, the player that made the GM do extra work. <laughs> right, exactly. Although Troy doesn't care. And, and of, of no. course, it's like no problem. But like it is funny, like uh, just uh, normally, normally I'm very drawn to classic I you know I I think you could play the class of fighter a million different ways you know yes, and I think I it's it, it, or barbarian or one of the you know old school classic kind of things um and and have a good time with it so I normally am not really that interested in in sort of like 
something like a summoner. But I played, we actually just finished the fall of plague stone, which is a two E scenario module for, uh, for pathfinder. My friends and I at home finished it. That's how addicted to pathfinder I am is that I, when I'm not recording, I go ahead and I play some more. And, unheard of around here these days everything yeah. we play we record <laughs> yeah so that that is so cool that you got to play uh plague stone just just with your buddies yes and one of my pals uh ross bryant uh he played a summoner and when i saw how the class worked i thought oh this is so fun i Did love you, this so wait, i'm sorry you ran it though you ran i was the, the i was the gm okay but i watched him play a summoner and his summoner is extremely different from the summoner I created, but that, that was part of what drew me to it. I was like, I really like mechanically how this class works. And I think I could get, come up with a different take on it, you know, fiction wise. Mm -hmm. So uh, I wanted to play, I, that was the top of my list was summoner. All right. Well, can you give me uh, from your experience from Ross and then your reading of the book, can you give me a, a quick version of what the summoner is mechanically in 2E kind of what are its Ba you know, it's what main concepts make it different from a wizard or a sorcerer. And uh, and yeah, so, so how does the class work? So as a summoner, you have an Eidolon, which is a pet. Uh, it's actually an astral being that you project out of your body in some way. And there are a bunch of different options for what your Eidolon is. It can be like a automaton construct thing, or it can be a demon, or it can be a fey creature. And all the different Eidolons in the book, and I, I'm sure they'll release more at some point, have different capabilities and things. But basically, it's sort of uh, uh, another, a whole other PC that sort of works in tandem with your main PC. And what I really like about it is the way that they share actions. Because it occurs to me that in Pathfinder, action economy, like making the most of it, can be kind of tricky, you know? You get those three actions, and sometimes you don't know what to do with that third action or even that second action. And what's great about the summoner is the summoner and its Eidolon, can sh they share actions. So if I can't think of something for my, for my summoner guy to do over in the corner over here, surely I can think of something for his Eidolon to do. Mm -hmm. So it's easier to kind of think up, oh, I'm going to have, you know, and, and then the other thing about it is like they have this act together action where you kind of get a free action for one of them so if my summoner casts a two action spell but if i use the act together action my summoner casts a two action spell and then my eidolon gets like a free action from that like because so they can are, like you can use that for your eidolon to like move exactly and then your or, third action can be the eidolon attacking so you've casted a spell and your eidolon moved and attacked all in one round with only three actions exactly i mean isn't that brilliant that's, that's so really fun cool. and so wait just, what are the limits of act together it is one free action that you can use once per round that's correct okay yep once per round and uh if I use act together and I can only think of a one action thing for my summoner to do well then i'm getting a little less out of it right you know what i mean like uh, but I'm still getting that free action. So basically, I love that. I also love that the summoner, the actual character that that is summoning the Eidolon, is, has no proficiency in armor whatsoever. <laughs> so you basically have this squishy little guy, and you've got this Eidolon out there that is a lot more durable. 
but they share hit points. Okay. Oh, they share hit points? They share hit points. Oh, I okay. didn't know that. That's cool, too. Yes. But the deal is like, okay, my, my summoner is really squishy. Do I use my Eidolon to sort of stay close and protect him? Do I kind of have them move around together? Or do I split them up? Do I, you know, do I get more on the offensive with my Eidolon and get him out there in the fray and hide my summoner over here? Just the, how the battlefield, you know, works with the two characters is really interesting to me. That sounds and, really cool. I, I didn't realize that. That adds a layer of tactical depth that I enjoy in these kind of games. Absolutely. And then the focus spells are cool, too, because my summoner can cast things that boost, like, power up the Eidolon. So that, again, that helps with, like, action economy. Like, I have something to do that's, like, useful that and and it, it's it's cool it's cool to like like pour power into you know my, my guy has a dragon so he can pour power into his dragon and, and make the dragon more formidable and is this uh, is a focus spell like are you picking one at first level is it like a class feat is that what your focus spells sort of co- come from or do you have multiple focus spells out of the gate you don't i don't think you have multiple out of the gate but i think you get another one pretty early on like third level second level yeah like third that. level i think very cool. And um, so what happens if the Eidolon uh, is reduced to zero hit points? Do if you the Eidolon is reduced to hit zero hit points, then you too, the summoner, are reduced to zero hit points because you share Makes hit sense. points. Yeah, yeah, okay. So I'm just trying. So I play a summoner in our 1E game, Legacy of the Ancients, and I've been playing uh, one for a while, but I've never even peeked at the 2E version. So I was curious of what some of those rules were like. And that is a very clean rule, I'm realizing. When you share hit points, it's just when one goes down, both go down. Um, right. I, and I, I like that, that that connection is so powerful that even if the quote-unquote pet uh, goes down, the, the summoner is going to go down with the ship, so to speak. That That's really yeah. cool. And what also, about, what about bringing in an Eidolon? What, what does that require? Bringing it in? You summoning, mean summoning. Summoning the it? Eidolon. Yeah. Three actions to manifest the Eidolon. Ah, okay. So it's like a full round just to manifest it, but once it's manifested, the Eidolon gets a, a one action. Oh, on the round it's manifested. On the, the round that it's manifested. Oh, that's so, fun too. Okay. Uh, it's like, boom, he's here, but he's able to claw something or, or what yeah, have yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, Or that's move great. into the battle or something. The Eidolon yeah. in 1E takes one minute to summon. So it was kind of a, you would, if you didn't have it and combat started suddenly, you could, you weren't summoning in your Eidolon. Oh, um, wow. But the 1E summoner also has a really powerful spell list. Uh, and so you can, you can cast spells. You could also summon other monsters, uh, very easily. Is, does that feature factor into the 2E summoner at all? Like, what is your spell list like? Are you a, are you a spontaneous caster? A prepared caster? I am a prepared caster. I have a, a pretty limited spell list. Um, and, uh, well, I hope I'm getting all this right. I want everybody to know that I also am a fairly new just, to just learning it. Yeah, for sure. I'm for learning sure. it and I'm, I'm a, I'm rarely a player. So, <laughs> yeah. but basically I believe I'm a prepared caster and I have a, a pretty small, um, selection of spells because I'm not supposed to be mainly a spell caster. I do know that I think some of the class features later make it very easy for you to summon other things as well. So, you get to where you are summoning all kinds of creatures in addition to your Eidolon. And do you ever... Uh, okay. And, and you never have, like, two Eidolons. 
Like you never have two different creatures, not at the same time, but you, you, you can never switch between two creatures that both have the effects of an Eidolon where you share hit points, all that kind of stuff. Like your Eidolon is always going to be your Eidolon. Your Eidolon is your Eidolon forever and ever, as far as I know. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. That is, that's, uh, that's awesome, man. So, uh, but then you went, like, we went a little bit wacky, you know, with our ancestries. There's a knoll, there's a skeleton, there's an automaton. And then you go human uh, for yeah. this one. Yeah. Uh, you, yeah. Yes, you went off the core book for, for class, but you stayed with human for summoner. Is, is there a mechanical reason for that, or was that straight uh, role-playing reasons? I... I thought it was really for role playing reasons because you know uh, a gnome makes a good summoner. There's a mm-hmm. there's a, an ancestry or two that make you know excellent summoners, but for me, like I wanted to do one of my favorite things about the character, and I I hope it, it fully comes through over the course of the whole game is that it's like the Eidolon is like this incredibly powerful weapon, you know. It's like this, my, my Eidolon for my character is a red dragon and it's like an extremely dangerous little mini nuke, you know, that lives inside (laughs) my body. And my thought was like, this guy has inherited it. Like his grandfather slew that dragon. And since then that dragon has become like this astral form that it like has to obey that, that family line. But my guy is like a two generations later and he's like a fuck up and a, and a jerk and a, like a, a lazy fool. And so can he, you know, handle having an inherited power like that? Mm-hmm. And the answer is undoubtedly no. He's going to <laughs> just really screw up really badly. But uh, we want to see him fall. We want to see the journey. <laughs> or, or maybe or maybe he will turn it around. I don't know. Um, so to me, that that storyline worked best with a human because uh, to me, there's nothing about that that says gnome culture or, you know, it, like there wasn't the, the angle of, of him being a different ancestry didn't quite work for me story wise. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. I love it. Uh, we're coming, we're running up on, on the end of our time here. So I want to be quick. Uh, just a real quick mention to everybody that we are. Uh, the reason that Troy uh, can't be on it this week is because he's out there in L.A. prepping for our show in L.A., which is happening tomorrow night, Thursday night, June 29th. We'll be at the Terragram Ballroom live uh, at 8 p.m. Uh, wait, no, I'm sorry, 7 p.m. I don't know. It's either doors at 7 or show at 7. I'm not sure. But definitely uh, the website says 7 o'clock, 7 p.m. at uh, the Terragram Ballroom tomorrow night, Thursday, June 29th. And then and there's still tickets available. So if you want to come out and see us, please uh, pick up a ticket come out hang out it's going to be a great time uh there's going to be a ton of gcn west people out there as well uh coming by the show uh josephine mcadam is going to be there you know among others nora etc uh paula deming from blood of the wild mary lou from blood of the wild so a bunch of fun people hanging out if you want to pop by and uh, grab a ticket come and see us tomorrow night and then we fly out to seattle and we're uh, we're playing at the triple door in seattle on saturday night this week so just a reminder to everybody uh that we're, we're, we're headed out of town this week for a couple more live shows i want to jam in two minutes here on blood of the wild i know yes. it's not a lot of time to discuss it but for those that don't know or don't subscribe it's our ten dollar uh weekly two-e campaign series on patreon uh, of jared running myself skid paula deming and mary lou through the quest for the frozen flame adventure path uh we are now 26 episodes i believe into the adventure uh it's been a fantastic campaign so far everyone is having so much fun 
I can tell you that for sure on the player end. What have been your thoughts of your first six, seven months of running 2E and, and running this campaign? Well, I just goddamn love it. And I'm someone <laughs> who's played a lot of role-playing games, you know, on stream, on podcast. But I hadn't played really this long-term a Pathfinder game. Mm-hmm. Or even one you know, right? Like you never played one E like at all, basically, right? No. And when you're talking about a game like Pathfinder, which has, you know, tactical combat and, you know, a pretty robust rule system, it's so lovely to play week after week after week, you know, hours at a time. You really start to like get can a handle on the rules. I mean, Pathfinder you know, it's it's the work of a lifetime to, to mm-hmm. learn all those rules. But like, you you know, you, you learn more quickly. And I just love having a campaign that happens like that often. And like with people that I find really entertaining and really love playing with. Yeah. I mean, and I think that this adventure path has a great combination of combat and non-combat things to do. Mm-hmm. And that's super yeah, I agree. key for me as well. I agree. And the non-combat isn't ju- isn't social encounters. There's a lot of seriously, it's called Blood of the Wild because a lot of it is out in the wild. And so it's a right. lot of dealing with survival in a really interesting way. Weather factors in, night and day factor hunting. in, food, just, hunting, yeah. foraging. All these things matter. And then the people that you meet or see uh, across the plain or at the, you know, at the riverside, you have no idea who you can and can't trust. It is a completely wild region. There is no king. There is no government of any kind. There, you know what I mean? You're not paying taxes. There aren't even really villages yet that you've stumbled across. Yeah. Right. There, there, yeah. there aren't even, uh, uh, like thanes, right? Like there's, there's not even a, a makeshift system of a, uh, of a government. It is a, they're truly wandering, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Hunter gatherers. It's, it's, yeah. it's truly hunter gatherer, uh, uh, fo- followings that move across the plains and everyone's just trying to survive in a land of prehistoric danger, uh, both from the animal standpoint and from, um, even, you know, the plant standpoint, like right. there's just a lot of dangerous, dangerous stuff out there. And, uh, it's, it's been really, really fun to navigate. And like you said, I can give everybody a quick peek behind the scene, behind the scenes on Blood of the Wild, which there's one thing a little bit different about Blood of the Wild, which is um, it has been recorded at a more regular clip than almost any other show that we do. A lot of the other shows, uh, because their casts are involved in so many other shows, require such um, you know, you kind of catch as catch can recording sessions. Right. Whereas with Blood of the Wild, you've got uh, Skid and I, but then having Mary Lou and Paula Deming, who do not have a ton of engagements on the Glass Cannon Network, it's a lot easier to stay in a consistent schedule. And so we've just been recording so regularly in that right. show. And I feel like you can tell it, it, things flow easier. The mystery is so right at our fingertips. Everybody is on point about what's going on and the relationships and the, and what we're searching for and all that stuff and it and i'm sure it helps from a prep standpoint you know for you to just kind of be in the same rhythm every single week recording oh yeah and i i just love that the characters start to get some depth i feel like because when you're when you get in a rhythm like that people really start to learn each other's characters not just their own but that's important too 
And and then just extra little things start happening. I mean, can I spoil a little bit? Can I spoil? <laughs> sure. You can spoil a little bit. Yeah. I mean, at some point, you know, AWOL is like working on a tattoo for Olog. Like, that's like a little bit of extra interesting, you know, detail that I feel like uh, a pure dungeon crawl wouldn't have. You know, yeah. like, it just it's just this extra little level of and I and I'm interested to find out what happens with that plot line because at some point <laughs> AWOL is going to have to roll to see how he did on this tattoo that is permanently on Olog's skin <laughs> and uh, really if you ask me then that's where the most suspense in the show is coming from for me is <laughs> is that but you know that's coming up but um, is AWOL's craft checks <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah so I mean like you know that's that's what's so wonderful is sort of the depth that you get with the characters and the depth that you get with their relationships. Yeah, and I and I I also think that that stems from the buy-in that you have, particularly from uh from Skid and Paula and Mary Lou. I don't want to just lump myself in, but Paula and Mary Lou have so committed to these characters. Their characters have so much depth. Yeah, and uh, and Skid is obviously doing it as well. Uh, Olog is an amazing character and so deep. And so complicated and somebody who played the barbarian class, like I've never seen anybody play it in 2E. You know, there's yes. there's these nuances to the class that are frightening. And he's really playing up rage like it's something that everyone should fear, yeah, not the just the enemies. And I love that. The rules of rage have started really mattering to the role playing of Olog. And that is really, really cool. And uh, yeah, it is frightening sometimes because yeah. he's such a big teddy bear except when he's raging. Yeah, yeah, it's it's just amazing. So anyway, uh, Jared, thank you so much for hopping in this week. My uh, pleasure. Replacing Troy on the FOD. Uh, we greatly appreciate it. Everybody, please come out in droves tonight and watch Haunted City Season 2 premiering tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern on twitch.tv slash the glass cannon. The podcast and YouTube video will release the very next day, and that'll be the cadence. Every Wednesday night at 8 o'clock, you're going to get an episode of Season 2 of Haunted City. So uh, come and check it out. And in the meantime, you can see Jared on, you can hear Jared on, and see Jared on SideQuest Side Sesh and Blood of the Wild on Patreon. So thanks again, buddy. Have a good one, and I'll see you in a couple thanks, days. Thanks, Joe. See you soon. <laughs> see you, buddy. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Glass Cannon Network. For more podcasts and live streams, visit GlassCannonNetwork.com. And for exclusive shows and content you can't find anywhere else, subscribe today at Patreon.com slash GlassCannon. In the 1970s, John Todd burst onto the evangelical scene with a shocking tale. He claimed to be a former witch involved in a then unheard of secret organization called the Illuminati and urged Christians to prepare for a violent world takeover. First of all, the number one weapon in everybody's home should be a 12-gauge pump shotgun. Hear the amazing story of one of the originators of the modern-day conspiracy theory. From Magnificent Noise and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Cover Up, The Conspiracy Tapes. Welcome to a journey into the heart of the Texas Renaissance Festival, the nation's largest and rowdiest celebration of medieval fantasy. But what lurks beneath the facade of tights and turkey legs? Well, we dove deep into the empire to uncover a history marred by mystery and misconduct murders, assaults, and other crimes that tarnish its legacy. This isn't just a fairy tale. It's a cautionary tale of power, fantasy, and the consequences that follow when they all collide. 
Search for Crime Waves Renaissance Texas on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now.